Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore. And yeah, we are really late in getting this thing going, but we know it's the 4th of July weekend, so we wanted to make sure that you had something. Hi, Jason. What's going on? G-Dub. Well, I'm good. For those that don't know, my guy's been sick all week, so that's why we're a little bit late. Greg has got up off the couch. A little bit. You got to get some more rest, man. We got five more days till you leave. So you got you to gotta like, we got to pound this out. We know we had a lot of content last week. And so I razzed Greg this morning. I'm like, hey, what do you, th-? well, I was awake. I don't know if you got that, what time you got my text, but it was like. At 3.45 in the morning? No, I wasn't awake. I was sleeping. No, no, I couldn't sleep last night. I was out. So then I thought, you know, Greg's been on, I've been on the couch, not, you know, well before after Phillip Island and stuff, as you've mentioned, and you've just pounded out a podcast on your own, but Greg's kind of the controller of this deal. Like he, he's a lot smarter than I am when it comes to all this stuff. So I couldn't even surprise I, smarter, but I couldn't even surprise you and get a podcast out if I wanted to G Dub. I know. I know. So I, maybe you know, someday we'll sit down and I mean, it wasn't that I was that bad. Honestly, I feel, I feel okay. Yeah. I took some NyQuil type stuff last night. That I never take, as you know, I don't drink or do any drugs or anything. So anytime I put some serious medicine in me, like that Nyquil stuff, just knocks me out cold. I mean, it wasn't yeah. Nyquil, but it was Alka Seltzer plus nighttime, same stuff. Are they paying us for that? Are they paying us the big Alka Seltzer? Yeah, they're, <laughs> no. They're lining <laughs> but up you on know our who door. Is paying us is Bike911.com because <laughs> oh, this that's is a nice segue. The Greg's Garage Pod, yeah, presented by J or whatever. See, my brain's just messed up. That's okay. Up. It's presented by me. But yeah, right. It's presented by Jason Pridmore, <laughs> who's presented by Bike911.com. Visit our boy Alex Asante. Yeah, I got this nasty cold. Um, running pretty hard at the ridge. Just, I mean, dude, with the way the flights are right now, it was so much cheaper for me. Even and when I say that, the ticket for me to go from Raleigh to the ridge to Seattle was 1384 bucks, And the cheapest option I had was to take that red eye home. That's such a joke, isn't it? Yeah. 100% no. pack flight, and it was so hot again at the Ridge. And yeah, It wasn't yeah, as bad, though. Honestly, it wasn't as bad. But that after after working for three or four days, and plus being in AC like we were for three or four days in the booth, and then you got to catch a red eye straight from the track, it's, it takes a toll on you, man. It does. I, I get yeah. it. It does. It takes a toll on you. But the flight. I'll sleep on planes, right? So I was up for 26 straight hours. You know, I mean, look, there's a lot of people in the world that have it worse than I do. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I can't believe you can't just figure out a way to sleep on an airplane. I just put some covers over your eyes and just put the seat back. It's not that. I'm just too tall. I'm so uncomfortable. Really? So uncomfortable sitting on an airplane. Yeah. And I was 1384 bucks in coach. Yeah. With with a non-reclinable seat because like I picked an emergency exit row that didn't recline. Yeah. You poor bastard. It was just one of those things. Yeah. Well, G-Dub, we need to get Alka-Seltzer on the, on the phone so we can afford some first-class tickets, apparently. Yeah, their cold you... medicine's good, actually. Regular old Alka-Seltzer you plop in there. Yeah. I just had some before I came on. It's nice orange-flavored, fizzy. Look at you. Fizzy stuff. Yeah. Look at you. Anyway, all right, let's get into it, Jake, because we got a lot of stuff to talk let's about. Let's do it, yeah. Talk about the yeah. Ridge, MotoGP, and, of course, uh, news presented by Arai. And then the music goes like that. And then I do a nice little read. You know, which goes a little something like this. If I could. Oh, dude, I swear right now. You know that every Arai helmet is meticulously handmade by craftsmen and women who are actively participating in the Arai mission to present the highest level of protection and quality. From the shell to the paint to the liner, the work is performed by hand by experienced 
focus specialist. Just one more reason to check out AriAmericas.com. Visit your local Ari dealer for proper fit and paint jobs. All right. Wind that down. So let's start off with some World Superbike stuff because it's so funny. It was such a long time ago, it feels like. But uh, Ducati Aruba re-signed Alvaro Bautista. Your thoughts on Bautista and the possibility of a second rider? I think it's interesting. You know, um, Bautista's done a really good job this year. They've obviously seen some sort of change in him, G-Dub, I, I feel. Um, like I've said many times, when I was over there last year, man, everybody was worried about Bautista on the Ducati. And, you know, he had some history there, went off to Honda for a couple years. The second seat's intriguing to me. It's very interesting to me. Um, I don't think that Rinaldi's done a job that is, you know, it's hard to say. Rinaldi right now, I would have expected to have been closer. I would have also expected Locatelli to have been closer and maybe Alex at a few rounds to be closer. And But it seems like those three guys have such a big jump on everybody right now, doesn't it? Um, that it's hard to say who could be the second rider there. Did I read somewhere where someone even said something about Gerloff? I mean, I think that would be incredibly Yeah, I mean, his name was in the hat. His name it was, was right? Hat. Where did we read that? I read that somewhere. Uh, it was but, on GP1. Was it? Yeah, I don't remember where. Mm-hmm. But it might be a change of scenery for him that he needs. Because we don't know what's going on with that team either, right? His team. Um, I don't know. It's it's all very uh, it's all very interesting. I think that um, who was it that said was it Lekawona Greg or was it Vierge that said that he feels there'll be two or three more people from the MotoGP paddock that could be in World Superbike next year. So, but but great for Batista. Uh, that's the original question here. Great for him. I think he's deserving of it. Uh, you know, and it's going to free him up a little bit, I think, this year. Like, I think that, I think if Batista doesn't get that deal, it's probably in his mind of like, man, I can't screw this up. I've only got one year deal. And then on Ducati's side of it, it's like, maybe if we sign him now, we don't want to sign him when he's won the championship because his price is going to go up quite a bit, right? So let's get him done now. He's proven what he can do. And let's hope he can continue on this run. It is a double-edged sword, right? It is. You don't want to sign him too early and then have him give the championship away because he's secure. Not saying he would do that. The guy's out there to race, but on the other hand, like you're saying, yeah. Well, I mean, we know that Fabio Antonio and Alex Marquez aren't going to go to World Superbike because they just, well, Antonio re-signed with Grassini and Mar- Alex Marquez signs with the team to ride a Ducati as his teammate next year. What do you think about the Marquez-Alex move of bringing him over? Man. I mean, the guy's a, the guy's a Moto3 and a Moto2 world champion, right? Take nothing away like from him, you- yes. If you don't live under the shadow of your brother, is he, you know, is he good? Is he good enough to go there? We've seen him out front in some races when it was raining. We've seen him in the dry, too, in a couple that, have, that he's done well. I think it was at the end of last year, G-Dub, or two years ago. I can't remember when it was, but it's definitely not frequent enough. I think it's such a hard one to do because, or or, or make, a, make a tell on, because we're not seeing any other Honda riders up front at all. So the one common denominator that we have there, the motorbike itself, it just seems like anybody that you put on these Ducatis uh, are doing well. Antonio, if you had said to me a month ago, oh yeah, he's getting re-signed out of laughed, and now look at him, he's doing really well. You and I talk about this every week because <clears throat> Greg's been trying so hard to get me out of the cellar with uh, MotoGP fantasy that that um, that Antonio is definitely on our our. Uh, 
our radar now. He's done well. I mean, Greg, he's outshining Bastianini right now when you think about that. But it's I thought it was really funny, and this is the influence of Mark Marquez. I'm interested to get your take on this because there's been a lot of things I've been thinking about with our podcast. Um, how much of an influence is Mark Marquez in this move over to Ducati in the sense that do you think that Mark Marquez got involved and talked to some of these other teams and said, listen, the Honda's not that easy to ride and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it just seems like such a weird step that they've gone from outside of Ducati of riders that they've groomed and they've brought kind of somebody from the outside in. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, a little odd really to me. That. Well, I, I can tell you this, that both DG Antonio and – Alex Marquez were wearing Red Bull hats when they took their photo together about next year. Okay. And we know Mark's a top Red Bull athlete. Mm. So you know, even maybe there's that. some influence there. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing I picked up on. I was like, wait a second. So who knows? I mean, you know, it, it is a business. There's no doubt about it. It's I think what's business. I think what's so crazy about it is that we kind of thought, or we had read that Oliveira could be going to Grassini. But these guys aren't getting paid a lot of money, G-Dub. Like when I talk about a lot of money, I'm talking about all the satellite riders on Ducatis. They're not getting paid a lot. So Oliveira, it sounds like has gone to that R&T team possibly. Is that what it is, R&T? The, the, it's going to be the new Aprilia R&F. team. R&F. R&F, sorry. The R&F team is where it looks like he's headed. Um, and then Rins, again, I think Rins would have jumped on this Ducati in a heartbeat. He said that he was in contact with, with Grissini too, but... The money. I think it's the money thing. And I think that the influence of Honda possibly getting Mir and Rins on Hondas together, those two guys have worked pretty close together at Suzuki to get that bike where it's at. Maybe there's something to be said there with Honda saying, well, look, if we have Rins on the LCR bike and your boy Agura, who I think will do great, and then you've got Marquez and Mir, Mir and, Mir and Rins have worked pretty close together on trying to get this bike set up. And on the Suzuki. So maybe they can be some sort of an influence in helping Mark Marquez with the Honda. That's so much implications. I mean, so much stuff get, going on. You have to get guys that are going to be healthy in the off season too. Mm-hmm. You know, we're what halfway through the GP season. They're on their summer break. You've got to be thinking ahead going, man, we've got to develop this bike. They Honda's like two years behind yeah. because Mark's been hurt and he's their a guy. So they're in real trouble because man, Ducati and Aprilia are just leaving the rest of the field behind in terms of development. And Honda's just kind of hanging out going, well, what do we do? Suzuki's now gone. Yeah. And Yamaha is still holding on to an inline four-cylinder. And you're like, what's going to happen with that thing? Yeah. You know, so, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's that report that came out on the street bike racing side. You know, the World Superbike and, and Moto America side of things that has a, a new homologated Yamaha R1 with a W distinction at the end of it, which is what they have done with the R6. So the W distinction, so like let's say it's the, it's really the YZF1000D is like the bike that they race currently, and the W was a uh, was a designation for the R6 for uh, for race only application, which is now you know obviously they're not making the R6 anymore. So that all of a sudden goes wait a second, here comes an R1 that's race only. What does that mean? Well. It could mean that Yamaha's no longer going to start selling the R1 as a street bike coming up here in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and of course we would probably be behind that since we're still, you know, the, according to the industry people that I've talked to recently, they still say that the United States is fifty percent of the thousand cc and above market. You know, so 
that's why we get we we lag behind sometimes or we we still have volume for 600s and those types of things but there's some new motorcycles on their way uh, from Yamaha that are gonna you know fill different classes in so you know the question is for a company like Yamaha who's only got an inline four cylinder you know where everybody else has basically got a V4 Suzuki has an inline but they're out what are you going to do next? Yeah. I mean, all signs say to me there's a new engine configuration coming if Yamaha's going to stay MotoGP racing. Yeah. Whether that's next year or two years or three, I don't know. But something something behind the scenes kept Quattararo there because it's difficult to. And he was promised more power. And is. he was promised more horsepower, right? That's what I'm saying. How much more so, horsepower can you get out of an inline 1000 four cylinder? Well, Not and that's. And, and then the thing is, is that when you look at the Yamaha, it's so funny how. You and I both, we sit there and we look at the Ducati and we look at the Aprilia and that yet it's still a Yamaha leading the way. Um, I just find it so strange in the world of both World Superbike and MotoGP right now that really other than Ducati, um, there's like it seems like there's just one guy across the board that can ride each one of these bikes uh, to another level to the guy that they've got in the garage next door to them. Now, we did see, and we'll get into that in a little bit with the results of Aston, but we saw Vinales finally take a first podium on that Aprilia, um, which was good for them. I think it's great for Aprilia to say, hey, look at we stuck our second guy on the podium as well now. Ducati's got eight shots at it every weekend. So you kind of look at it like they've got the, they put all the balls in their court there sort of thing. But we have not seen a Yamaha get near, got not even near a podium. We've not even seen another Honda get near a podium other than Mark Marquez. So, man, it is, it's an interesting world right now uh, when it comes to all that stuff. And I think that with the signing of Alex Marquez on that Ducati, it's going to tell us a lot, Greg, when they get ready to do that first test next season. Let's jump right through here, Greg, because we've got a lot, like I said, but we're going to, we're going to kind of skim over some of this stuff. But um, when you, uh, did you have anything else in the news? Sorry, I wasn't sure if you had anything else in the news. Well, I was just going to mention that, you know, seven-time AMA Superbike champ Matt Maladin was acquitted of all charges a few days ago. So about two years ago, he was accused of having sex with a child under the age of 10. But the nightmare is over for Matt. And if you want to read his statement, go check out his Facebook page. I believe it's like Matt Maladin Racing on Facebook. And um, it's posted on Road Racing World. There's a bunch of places that really basically took his comments. But um, happy for Matt and his family and everybody else involved that, uh, that that whole situation has been resolved and he's been acquitted of the charges. It's interesting, you know, because you and I have had some discussions about Matt over the last 20 years, you know, that we've known him. And it was a hard thing for me to watch and hear about all this stuff. And I couldn't, you know, we talked about this again the other day. I, it's hard for me to, Matt was such an influential guy in my career. And I, I couldn't really believe the stuff that I was hearing only because um, you could dislike Matt for whatever reasons you want to dislike him. But unfortunately, we live in a world right now, G-Dub, where you get accused of something and you lose it all. You literally lose it all before you have your chance to kind of go in there and and prove your innocence. And in this particular case, uh, I can't imagine what he's lived with. Um all the people that I'm sure he's pissed off over the years that have nothing to do with this case jump probably jumped on it and said, oh, yeah, he's this or he's that. But there's a lot of people, I think, G-Dub, in our world over here in America that owe him a lot in the sense that 
he raised the bar. He raised the bar over here in America to win the Superbike Championship seven times, uh, to create the lifestyle he created for himself. But more than anything, he created a lifestyle for our, for all of us. I mean, at that time when he was as good as he was, they were looking for the guys that could come along and beat him. And so he raised the level. He raised the money in the sport. He did a lot of really, really good things over here in America. Was he salty? Was he hard to get along with? Yeah, if you were a competitor of his, his the mind games he liked to play were, were, as you know, GW, you've seen it on both sides with him, where he could be an absolute great guy, and then he could be a bit of a villain as well on the other side. Um, but if you beat Matt Maladin on the day, you could look at yourself in the mirror, and your team would look at you as if you were, you know, if you beat him, you were something. And um, I, I'm happy to see all this news go away, and hopefully he can go on living his life. Yeah, there's no doubt. Matt understood what his value was. And when he would go into negotiations with Mel Harris at Suzuki, um, who recently passed away, by the way, Mel, um, <clears throat> he he understood it. And everybody else knew what everybody else was making. And so, you know, you wanted to hire somebody to go beat him, especially Honda wanted to beat those Suzuki's so bad. They spent a lot of money with HRC, American Honda did. Yeah, right over boy, didn't they? Blueprint and bikes and getting their guys in wind tunnels and doing all. And ultimately, it was all to beat Matt and to beat Yoshimura Suzuki and then eventually to beat Ben. You know, so yeah, I mean, I'm with you, dude. You know, you look back on it. Um, he was a difficult guy for me to work with. There were times when we were on a golf course where he's the greatest guy in the world. And there were other times <laughs> where he was really difficult yep. to be around. Um, definitely a dual know, personality, and, and, like you say. Like, it was definitely... Yeah. Yeah, but that was all part of, I mean, that's the time I grew up in the sport, you know, and some people have to win in different ways, Jay, they do. Some people have to win and be angry. Some people have to win and be happy, you know, or or can win and be happy, I should say. So Matt had his personality, but he did raise the bar in the sport. He raised the recognition of it, you know, and then, you know, Ben Spees, as much as, you know, he loves or hates Matt, I don't know, it's Ben's position, but the reality is, is that with the way... Ben Spees grew up as a kid and the way that Matt Maladin tested him every single day and the way that Ben Spees ended up reacting to that is a huge, huge factor in Matt and uh, Ben going to world Superbike and winning in his rookie year. Yeah. I don't think people understand how difficult that is to do. Well, to beat to Matt to, three, was it three years in a row? He beat him, didn't he? Three years in a row. Yeah. Like Oh six, Oh seven, Oh eight or something. And then what yeah. was funny is that the disdain, disdain that Ben has, for Matt and had for Matt. Um, I think on the flip side, there's always going to be that little bit of, he needed Matt Maladin. Like I think Matt Maladin um, was good for Ben at that particular time in his career. Uh, you take all the bullshit aside between the two of them. When they went out there and they raced each other, they raced each other very hard. Um, there was a number of times they would give each other credit on the podium if one beat the other. But I know personally absolutely personally that in 09 i was talking to matt quite a bit when ben was overseas and he took such a great level of pride seeing ben kicking all those guys asses and you got to remember when ben did that all the big names were there racing they were all there and he was going to these tracks that he's never seen before and he's whooping on those boys and winning the championship his first year out and Matt took a lot of pride in seeing Ben do that. So, you know, there's always two sides to every story on everything. The thing that I think that I'm most happy about, Greg, is that is that people can talk about Matt Maladin again. People can talk about 
the legacy that he left here as a racer, as a writer. Um, I don't believe that anybody's personal stuff should come into play necessarily um, before they're proven guilt. And, and, and I think that a lot of people shied away from talking about Matthew and his accomplishments and the things he did um, because this black cloud was hanging over him. So I'm glad it's gone. Um, let's get into some race results, G-Dub, because we had a great weekend at the Ridge, as you said. It was definitely a hot one. It wasn't like it was last year, but man, all the way leading up to the week, it was funny because you and I were talking and you're like, Jay, it just went up another five degrees. It went up another five. And it got all the way to where it was like, we thought it was going to be in the 70s, didn't we, Greg? And then next thing you know, it was in, what was it? Did it get into the low 90s, I think it did? Yeah, low 90s. Low 90s. Like 91, 92, I think. But it still felt so much better than it did, obviously, the year prior. Um so let's look at some race results, Greg. When you think about it, it just seems to me that Gagne is on that roll that everybody needs to be a little bit careful of now. He ends up winning the first race over Cam Peterson and Petrucci. Skultz, Barbara, Yates, Corey Alexander, Gillum, Debrino, and Escalante in that first race were your top 10. Gagne, Greg, from the time he got out of the truck and put that bike on the track, looked incredibly fast. Um, watching that first session of the weekend, I mean, Greg, he went out there, I'm sitting trackside with Jake Zemke and he's just putting lap in after lap in after lap in and he's not coming into the pits and you could just tell that they knew, I, I mean, the bike was just good right out of the box. I mean, what can you say? Yeah. Second year of the asphalt. Remember the first year we go there, no fans, new, new surface, but not entirely topped off. So the curbs look like they were high. Mm-hmm. And then we come there last year and it's a new surface. They're eating up tires, all that ruckus, the heat. I mean, it was just, you know, one of those combinations didn't bring a lot of fans out. <clears throat> this year we go second year of the surface, you know, brand new paint on the, on the curbing. There were a few riders made comments afterward. They were really excited and they could feel that it was FIM homologated paint with aggregate in the paint. So they could run right over. It was just that deal. Where, you know, you could see it all after. And Moto America did a little post where he starts goon riding after the race. Yeah. That's when you know that Gagne had so much fun, that everything was clicking. They barely touched the bike. You know, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. They're in such refining mode right now that uh, it's going to be a rough one for the rest of the field at Laguna, I think, at this point. Well, I you know, and leading to what you're saying there, when you look at Cam Peterson, I thought Cam did a really nice job holding on to Jake those first Five laps. Now you got to remember, our first race was a bit of a shambles. Uh, to be honest, we only did an eight-lap national, which I just hate more than anything in the world. Um, you know, eight laps um, because we had a couple of red flags, didn't we? We had, I think, the first was Nolan Lampkin tipped off, and uh, red flag was brought out for that one. And then the second one, Greg, helped me out here. I can't remember. We had a second red flag. That's and- the Jake Lewis one. Yeah, that's what it was. It was Jake, you know. So we had two red flags, and and so we ended up having an eight lap national, and and Gagne for the first five laps was tested by his teammate Cam. Did a really nice job, and then the second day, a little bit the same. Those guys tried to hang on. Greg, it's just that the pace, the first five or six laps for Gagne is so intense that it's hard for those guys to stay with him, isn't it? I mean, it's just hard for them to to go with him those five or six laps. Yeah, but going back to Maladin, that's what Maladin did, 
right? Yeah, he would put right. the heat on you in five laps. That went to Spees. That went to Josh Hayes. That yeah. went to Cameron Bobier. That goes to <laughs> Wow, well Gagne. put. Well put. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I'm not saying they wouldn't have figured it out by themselves, but like if I look at my time in that paddock, that's kind of how it was. It's like it's pretty amazing. Who's going to hang with me the first five laps? If I get a break, I'm good. You what know? a what a I feeling think, to have that in your pocket. You know what I mean? As a racer, what a feeling to know. That out of everybody that's in that paddock, you're the guy that's going to go set that bar on the first five laps. Well, the thing is, Jay, it's not just the race, right? Like I, I had done some stat when I was, you know, a pit reporter, mm-hmm. and I looked at at Maladin and Spees and the numbers they would do. And the thing that that struck me about Matt was that he would go out there, and I can't remember exactly what the stat is, but on his like fifth lap of the first practice session, he would be within one second of his fastest lap of the race weekend. It's really important that riders understand that the quicker you get up to speed, or let, let me let me back up. The faster you go, the more you unveil problems with your current setup. So the faster you can get up to speed, the quicker your team's able to address those issues. And as you get going a little bit quicker, those problems don't become as big. And you know that's that's the thing that we've seen riders on their back foot missing an entire practice session or not getting up to speed. There's a couple guys I could name right now that I won't, but a couple guys I could name right now that that would basically pussyfoot around session number one, be two and a half seconds off, and then they would be as fast a tenth off or two tenths off a mat, but then they get in the race, they race, next thing you know, I have chatter. It's like, yeah. yeah, because so, you pussyfooted around free practice. So time, you know? it's so well put. And Greg, I'm not I'm not challenging your theory here, but it wasn't five laps. It was like it was like second flying lap. I mean, it probably was. Yeah, second I mean, it flying was, lap, the guy but, was like within three tenths of of what he would do his fastest race lap on on a race tire, and and there's something to be said for that, uh, getting up to speed that quickly. Now, Danilo Petrucci did uh, the second day. Greg, he was able to get by Cam Peterson. Cam kept him pretty honest, but Petrucci did pull away by a second at the end. So the second race results were Gagne, and then Danilo ended up second with Peterson. Skultz again fourth. Hector Barbara. Uh, fought off the advances of Richie Escalante, who I believe it was his best weekend so far of the year for Escalante. Even though he did tip off in that first race, he had speed from the beginning of the week and uh, and looked looked a lot more solid on that bike. Gillum, Corey Alexander, PJ Jacobson ends up ninth in that one. And Dave Anthony, who substituted on the vision wheel bike for Jake Lewis, he ended up rounding out the top 10. Gagne won this one by four and a half seconds. This was a longer race. Obviously, we were able to run the full distance here in this one. And um, the thing that's really scary about what we discussed here is Gagne has got it now. I think that when you start winning races, Greg, it's just head down and bum up for the entire race. And you, if you win by 10 seconds, you're stoked. If you win by four seconds, you're stoked. But here's the really scary part for me. Gagne now has been able to take those first five laps that he puts out, first four, five, six laps. If he gets that lead out to three seconds, he's satisfied with that. Like he's not, at that point, I think it's like, if you look at an 18-lap race, he kills himself for five laps, and then he's able to go, okay, now I can chill and run the pace that those guys are running, which is a lot easier for him than it is for them. And the other thing I help, I think it helps him do in, a, in twofold is, it's not going to be as hard on his tires. If he sees somebody start to catch him, catch him, he responds immediately and just lays down a lap. So you know how discouraging that is when you see somebody, oh my gosh, I'm starting to reel him in. Wait a minute. He just got the note that, you know, somebody take out the pit board guy. Don't let him know anymore, you know, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's like yep. he's able to respond. He's got a bike underneath him still because he hasn't worn the motorcycle out. 
for us as commentators, uh, we want to see somebody try to catch up to Gagne and make a battle out of it. But you have to appreciate the level that he's riding at, the relaxed way that he's doing it. And you're right. The goon riding and stuff afterwards just shows how relaxed he is. Greg, I was trying to put it in perspective of like what it must be like to be in a place where you really, because I believe him on this, where you really don't think about the championship. He's not even thinking about it. He's just like, ah, just let the races handle themselves. And whatever happens, happens. I'm going to try to win every race. And and that's all you can do, right? Now, I've done I've done it before, but never at Superbike level. Like, this is the class that everybody really cares about. And so you go out there and you try to do the best you can. But, man, yeah, yeah you know, Laguna is going to be interesting. Like Jake, Jake Gagne is no, like, no, he's not a pretender, right? No. He's no, he's no, he's not a fake. So when I talk to his crew chief and I ask him about that very question, does he really care about fastest laps? Does he really care? And he's like, you know, he cares, but in a different way, you know, it's almost like a lot of people care because it's an ego challenge, right? Like, oh yeah, I just smoked everybody. I broke a track record to eat. And like I said on the broadcast, Gagne really just cares that his entire team is rewarded for the, the hard effort that they're putting in to get this st- stuff going. And he cares more about that. And maybe that's more of a mental deep dive and just shows the personality of Gagne because, Jay, we've known him since, well, 11, 12, Cup? yeah, something like that. 10, 11, yeah. 12, yeah. So he's had to mature into that. You know, he's had to, all of his life experiences. I mean, we still met him and his personality wasn't completely developed, you know, but he's very in touch, you know, with, with the outdoors and he loves all those things. And, you know, he's got his influence from his dad's side of things and his mom. And he just he just understands where to comp- where to put racing in his life. Yeah. I think Jake's number one priority is family health happiness. Like that's what I honestly what I think. You know, he, yeah. he moved to Colorado. He's got his hydroponic uh, you know, garden. He he exercises by running with his dogs and you know what I mean? Like he's a pretty happy that's guy. More important. He is. And he's been smart with his money when he was young and started, you know, being successful. I think as a teenager, he bought a house in San Diego. He was able to hold on to that house, get roommates, do all the things you should do when you're a young guy. Cameron Bobier did the same thing, invested a little bit there. He's been able to make some money there. Now he's really in the stroke of things in terms of financial independence. So he doesn't have the same worries that a lot of other people have coming up. And it really shows in the way he shows up. I mean, he's one of the first Superbike guys there every single day. He spends time outside the trailer, engaged with the race fans as they come by. You know, he's always on his feet doing stuff. He, it ain't hard to find. It is not hard to find him at the races. No, it's not. And it's, it's really great. easy. Where we have a couple guys that are hard to find. Well, you say um, that, and it's it's. I think our paddock's pretty good, but I agree with you on that. Um, but I walk by that. I walk by the attack thing, and I see Jake all the time. He he'll be out there talking to his crew, just chilling, and then it's like. Fans will walk up. He goes over and engages with them, goes back, talks to his crew. I mean, he's in a very happy place right now, and it's hard to beat. Um, talk A couple other stories on this weekend. It was interesting to see Matthew struggle a little. Um, he ended Skultz. up Skultz, yeah, Matt Skultz. Um, he ends up fourth in both races. I think that that's fine. I'd much rather see him do that uh, than throw the thing down the road and lose a bunch of points. Let's not forget he's still in the championship hunt here. I think now he's back to third. Um Camp P did a good job on the weekend. What do you think about these? I mean, Greg, honestly, what do you think about the BMWs? Hector Barber pulls a fifth place in both races. I mean, first of all, the machines themselves, when you go look at them, they're they're pretty nice. Yeah. 
excuse me, Alpha's done a really good job of putting these things together. They've had, you know, experience with them, even though it's an M, it's a new model. I mean, I'm so impressed with the job that Weaver's been able to do to get this team together. And, you know, it's not, it's not without drama. There've been plenty of dramas inside of there, just teething dramas of a new team and all that kind of stuff. And there's been, you know, some woes coming out of there from Ryder, crew chiefs, whatever. But for the most part, very impressive, very impressive. And I think that Hector Barbara, I think nobody's as fast as Jake Gagne. I don't care what people want to dream about Petrucci. He's not Jake Gagne on a Yamaha. But I think that, you know, if this thing continues on till next season and they keep going in the direction they're going, I think you've got to throw Hector's name in the mix. And man, if, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that team, but if, if you had another super bike of that caliber and you put Corey Alexander in there, I think that you're looking at now consistent podium contenders that they can race up there, you know, with the best of the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I, boy, I agree with you on all, all fronts on that. Um, just looking down just a little bit more, just talking about Superbike guys. It's funny because Barbara does well this week. PJ didn't. PJ had never been there before, obviously. I think it's one of the more difficult tracks to learn on the calendar, Greg. I think. Well, I think that that's an important thing to say, Jay, because, you know, we've talked about it before. You've said it many times. There's no such thing as a home track advantage, blah, 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 blah. However, I would say that Laguna Seca and the Ridge are probably two minor, minor exceptions. Maybe Pittsburgh, too. I think Pittsburgh's, for for a lot of guys, Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh's, you can see it, but I agree with you. The Ridge and Laguna are difficult. Laguna, to me, I think you break it into a sector kind of thing and i've got some friends that are doing their first national at laguna this weekend that have never been there before um so i'm gonna have a busy week uh this this next week talking with some of them um but but the thing is is i feel like sector wise you start looking at what laguna actually offers g-dub and i think that you've ridden there you look at certain places like turn one is like a key how do we get up over turn one once you get up over turn one and you understand where to roll off uh the throttle Turn two, three, four, they're not that difficult. Three and four are just flat kind of corners that you kinda gotta get used to. Yeah, but but they right? connect, but they connect more than some other racetracks. I agree. In a weird way. Yeah, it's the same thing at the ridge, like you say. Like it there's some there's some differences there at the ridge. Uh, I think turn six at Laguna is a bit of a tricky one because it's blind, you can't see going in, you gotta click a back shift. And then that is such a key turn because it goes up that gigantic steep hill. Then of course getting into the corkscrew. I think that it gets very narrow up there. People aren't, you know, it's, it's something that you can't see when you're rolling off the throttle there. You can't actually see the turn that you're actually slowing down for. I think mentally that kind of can mess with you a little. Um, but then from there down the run down the hill, I don't think it's that difficult. You just got to get used to it for a lot of guys. The Ridge though has a lot of places where you can lose little increments of time or gain little increments of time. Uh, a lot of first gear corners in the sense that you got like 11, 12, 13, I think that it, it just there are some things there that are a little bit different. So um, PJ just struggled a little there, but I think you know he'll be back. Couple guys I want to mention: Ashton Yates, amazing job. He did a really good job. It was a bummer to see him crash out of the position he was in. Let's rip over to Supersport G Dub, and I I got to be honest, you and I talked about it on the broadcast. We talked about it before we even got to the ridge. Um, for me, it was always going to be a great track for Josh Heron. I thought that the Ducati would do really well there, uh, the way the power is delivered on that bike. I felt like looking at his results from the year prior, that it was going to be difficult for anybody to beat him. The year prior, he actually kept Gagne a little a little bit honest. We had Rocco Landers lock off on Mato and Tyler Scott in the first five of race one. In the second race, we had Heron, Tyler Scott, Almeido, 
gets a podium, who I thought was the other very impressive guy on the weekend. Rocco Landers, after running off the track early, ends up fourth. Luke Power surprisingly ends up fifth. There was some dramas on the last lap, so some guys got kind of taken out. So there were some guys that got some results that they had never got before, which was good. Um, I think my biggest takeaway, G-Dub, other than Heron winning, is the fact that Sam Lockoff is not healthy. He hasn't been healthy all year. We need to get him healthy. Uh, rumors are that he could be taking this next race off to try to start to fix that leg of his and try to get it better. So that would be the smart thing to do. I don't think he's going to be in the run for the championship uh, at this stage. So the better thing, I think, is to get the young man healthy. But Josh Heron just dominated all weekend. Yeah, and he got so he said such a massive points lead now, 68 points in this mm-hmm. championship to Rocco, Ty Scott. So the, the good news is we have Josh Heron here. These yeah. guys and these teams have got to figure out how to go chase him down. I know that right now with this next generation class and Moto America slash World Supersport or the FIM, who, Scott Smart, whoever you want to say about, about equalizing bikes, I think that it's not just the motorcycle, that these teams and riders have got to look at themselves and say, okay, enough with screwing around with these rules and worrying about if we get more horsepower, we have less horse, whatever it is, dumb the Ducati down, give the, you know, whatever. Just go race and figure out how to beat Josh Heron and stop saying that the rule book you know, is again is a, is a, is against you all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not to say that they're not going to continue to tweak. They are, but there's no big jumps coming. Zero. If anything else, it's one percent here, half a percent there. So I say you got to go figure out how to beat the guy. And we're going to go to Laguna, and Josh is really fast at Laguna too. Well, so let's let's look at something here. And this, please understand, I'm not. I'm zero. I'm taking zero away from Heron here, but he's racing against a. A lot of guys, Josh Heron's doing the job that he should be doing. He is doing the job that we all figured he could do in this class. You look at, he's racing Sam Lockoff. It's his second year. He's on a new, he's the second year in Supersport and he's on a new bike. He's racing Ty Scott, 16 years old, never been on a Supersport class on a new bike as well. Not a developed bike, right? He's racing a 16 year old Rocco Landers. Um, again, 17 now, but 17, yeah. sorry. He's racing kids. He's racing guys. That's not Josh Heron's fault. Josh Heron's doing the job at hand. And sometimes, G-Dub, it's harder to do the job at hand that everybody expects you to do. Sometimes that <laughs> can put more pressure on yourself, you know, when everyone's like, oh, you are the guy to win. So taking nothing away from him. But he has definitely taken advantage of his experience, of being the veteran of the class, of having a good team and a good bike. Um, and now it's a matter of, like, who is going to step up? Who is going to be the one that's going to step up? and and try to challenge him and i think that at some tracks we're going to be able to see him get challenged at some tracks i just think he's got too much experience and savvy both he's not really having to pull too many tricks from the bag of tricks that he has to try to to win these races he's doing it in a very like i never felt he was pushed at the ridge i felt like he had another two three four tenths of a lap inside it if he would have really needed him if he's racing against a bobby fong or if he's racing against a SDK or an Escalante, people that we've seen in the past in Supersport that maybe could bring a little bit more fight to him. Um, But he's just doing what he needs to do, and he's he's riding very smart. Yeah, and that's my original point. The class is lucky to have Josh Heron in the sense that Josh Heron can really set the tone for these younger racers if they get hungry, if they get hungry enough, and try to figure some stuff out and stop blaming... I'm not saying any of these younger riders are. I'm just saying the the thing trap you don't want to fall into is is getting locked up in the rules and blaming the rules. 
And a lot of these crew chiefs that are working with these older riders are older dudes and they yeah. can get caught in that trap. So it's, it's like, stay focused, go, go after the dude. How could, you know, start, stop worrying about your, you know, your, oh, gee, I only have this much throttle right. and say, all right, how can I go race this guy? Like, you know, we know that Valentino Rossi was getting his ass kicked by Casey Stoner and Va Valentino figured out how to beat Casey. Right, put him behind him at the corkscrew and never let him get past. And so those are the things. Like Petrucci knows how to race Gagne. He knows how to race him. The problem that Gagne has, or the problem that Petrucci has, is he's got to get ahead of Gagne, and he's got to disrupt Gagne's rhythm to beat him. Yeah, that's the issue. Where yeah. a guy like Cameron Peterson, being on the same equipment to beat Jake Gagne, Cameron Peterson has to, in essence, do the same thing that Gagne is doing, but better. Yeah, so there's a totally different strategy for the way the Ducati wants to go fast versus the way that the Yamaha wants to go fast. So that's what I'm saying in that class. And I think it's an opportunity for the young riders in Supersport to say, okay, here we have a guy who never won a Supersport title, but has won a Superbike title, Stock 1000 title, unbelievably talented motorcycle racer. He's in our class. Let's go get him. And that's going to set really good things. It's, it's, it's almost that situation we talked about, Maladin and Spees, you know? Just get angry at them. Go figure out how to do it and get yeah. the crew on board. Well, well, everybody had the choice of bikes that they could have chosen at the beginning of the year. And I think in a first year of a series that's getting the, the rules have been reshaped to try to get other brands involved and such, um, that I think that I, I look, you got to race with what you got now and put all the other stuff aside and try to go out and do the best job you can. And, and again, it, it, it took a Josh Hayes to come in on R6 and win. And so everybody knows that there's a level there. And if you want, how hard did Josh Heron ride in that second race at VIR to beat Josh Hayes? I mean, he oh, had yeah. to pull every bag of tricks out. None of these kids have been able to do that with, with, um, with Heron yet, other than the absolute brilliant ride that Ty Scott put in at road America, where he just sat behind him and knew that he could draft by the Ducati at the line. I mean, played to the strengths of that bike. That Ducati played to the strengths of itself at the Ridge with a very veteran rider in Heron, and Heron did the job. So Supersport will be rolling on. We'll see um, what happens there as far as if anybody else shows up for that race. Uh, in Junior Cup, G-Dub, it was kind of a weekend of historic proportions for Moto America. Um, but in race one, we have Gus Rodeo, Lamandri Jr., and Kayla Yakov. She ends up third over Cody Wyman and Max Van, who ends up fifth, Greg. On the second day, I think that everybody in the paddock was super pumped to see Kayla Yakov become the first woman in Moto America championship history to win a national. She goes on and beats Lamandri Jr. by uh, almost half a second. Gus Rodeo ends up jumping the start pretty badly, but continues to get uh, third even after a five-second penalty. Looked like it might thwart his um, his ability to get on the podium. He beats Max Van and Avery Dreyer, who ends up fifth. I think, Greg, when you look at it right now, this is the funnest championship for us to be calling. Uh, well, I shouldn't put words in your mouth. For me to be calling because we're seeing lots of new winners. We're going to see a brand new champion. I think the fact that we've got a 15-year-old a young lady involved whose racecraft and her race savvy, her intelligence, the way she speaks – She's such a she can be such a powerful force moving forward. We don't want to put any pressure, extra pressure on her. I don't think she feels that, anyways. But I think that the way she rode, even though she knew Gus Rodeo <laughs> had a penalty, she was not going to let him cross the line first. To his credit, in his interview, which I thought was unbelievable, classy, he said it wouldn't have mattered if I was racing Kayla on this day. She had me beat. 
Joe Lamandry Jr. continues to put. This but wasn't it wasn't together. it Gus's yeah. first win ever too? Wasn't it? Gus's no, no, first he won. He won before last. He won last year. At Jersey? Nope, he won at Road America. No, remember he started celebrating. Lamandry won at Jersey last year. Road nope. America. That's right. He started <laughs> celebrating a little bit yeah. early. Um, but Lamandry Jr., you look at what he's doing quietly. All these, he's won a race, but he's also quietly just continues to click off these podiums. And Greg, this is a kid that hasn't seen a lot of these racetracks either. And I've gotten to know him a little bit personally on the side. He's a great kid and he's doing a good job. He's just keeping his nose clean. He's finishing seconds. Um, but what, you know, what do you, what's your takeaway from the weekend? I mean, how great was it to see Kayla win the second day? It was, it was really good. And we're going to have her as a guest on the next podcast as well, mm-hmm. everybody. And we're going to spend some time with her because there's no racing this weekend. But, you know, if I look at the championship, Gus is, Gus is ahead of Cody Wyman by two. LaMandry Jr. and Cody are now tied at 121. Kayla's only, what, eight points back from the lead, six points back from second place. Wow. Max Fan is in the mix. So we have a tight championship. I think, um, you know, what you're looking at is Kayla turns 15. She's only been at this for one full season at this level. She races all the time. This weekend, she's 4th of July weekend. She's up at Jersey, I think she said, racing regional race. So they race as much as she can. But I think that uh, Kayla has got the potential as she continues to, to, to grow this year to possibly check out of a couple of these races. But the way Gus Rodeo, if he can keep it rolling, LeMandry Jr., basically the top four. You know, even Cody, which is something I want to address. We were going to talk about it on the broadcast, and we didn't. I heard some stuff about Cody Wyman. He's 28 years old. The class limit's 28 years old. And people kind of bellyaching online about Cody. I mean, the, the thing I can say is just shut up. Why? Why like, are they bellyaching? What, what's the hell's the problem? Oh, uh, he's an old, you know, he's... Who he's, gives he, Because he's... Le- there's a reason why there's rules, right? There's rules. Dude, there, exactly. There's rules to 28. So you're 14 to 28. Cody's in there mixing it up. He's doing a really good job. He was leading the championship. He lost the lead. It's like the, the guy belongs there. He, he deserves to be in there. You know, hey, it's like. And, and who, by the way, G-Dub. It gets him racing. Huh? By the way, that guy, Cody Wyman I'm talking about here, would help any one of these kids in a heartbeat. Like He, he did with a, Kayla at, at Road America. A, he is a good dude, man. Like, he's a great guy. Yep. I just don't understand. Like, again, this is people behind keyboards and stuff. Cody's been doing Cody's been supporting this sport for a number of years going around with his dad obviously his two brothers are in the paddock racing as well Cody's legit man he's he he is the guy if you watch him even in podium um when Kayla got disqualified at uh at Road Atlanta he was the first guy there with her when he got taken out by Kayla when she had a problem at VIR he was the guy running to the to the air fence to try to help her when she was buried underneath it the guy's got a good heart. He's a great dude. He's a worthy champion if he was to go on and win this. And what is he doing, G-Dub? Well, he is the Josh Heron of this class. He's elevating everybody else. He's trying to bring everybody else up and along. If you beat Cody on the day, Cody's got three wins on the season. If you beat Cody, you're doing a nice job. Cody knows how to put points together. He knows how to work hard. Uh, he's riding Twins Cup as well. I believe he got his first podium, G-Dub, this week in Twins Cup even. Um, and so when you look at it, it's like, I don't think that there's any of those kids that he's racing against that don't want Cody in the class. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's the rule. We'll talk to Kayla about it because, you know, she, we know that she's got some issues with the people that she rides with occasionally. They want to bump into each other and that stuff. And I know at Road America, 
she latched up with Cody Wyman because she knew she could trust him and do some clean laps to try to get a better qualifying position or a better time in practice, whatever it was. But we'll talk to her about it. But yeah, yeah no all these doubt. people chirping online about Cody wow. Wyman. I mean, I just say, dude. I'm glad I don't go online. I'm, I'm glad I don't go online and look at that. Yeah, that's like saying if if I had the ability to to get you know uh, five more horsepower out of my motorcycle, that it's unfair to the people behind me. Like it's it's, it's are the same racing, man. Are the Not same people are the same people bitching about Heron racing in that class with a bunch of teenage kids. I don't too? know, Jay. Probably it, it, right, it's probably. it's so funny. It's like these guys. It, hey, look. Let me explain something. If somebody came along and gave Cody Wyman a couple hundred thousand dollars to be able to fund a super stock, a stock thousand team or a super sport team, let me tell you, that guy would run to it and do it. Okay. He got basically, and, and I know the Wymans pretty well. And, and, and the thing is, is that all they could really do, they had, Greg, you know why they chose to do Junior Cup for another year? Money. <laughs> they had the bike to still do it. They're like, well, this is the bike that we have. And, I'm going to, you know, my dad's going to help me and that's all we can do. They don't have the, they didn't have the financing to go out and buy a bike and put a whole program together. And it's, it's not in the cards, but what we're seeing now with Cody is he's done a good job in junior cup. He's got a job. He's got a ride now in twins cup as well that he's doing. He's put it on the podium in twins cup. And now we're starting to see that progression. So I hope that it can Yeah, but he only gets the twi- the point is, right? He only gets a Twins Cup ride because he's racing in That's Moto a, America. Because he's and there. He's racing the class yes. he can race in because he's mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, you keyboard jockeys aren't you're not there. Guy's a grinder, man. A twenty eight year old guy is racing a fourteen year old kid. What difference does that make? And besides all that, it's it's the guy the second he's done racing, he's on the grind. Because I know he does a lot with champ school. He's on the grind, dude. He's he's out working. He's trying to fund it to where he can do it. So yeah, and I think that for all these junior cup, and I have not heard, by the way, I personally, I've not heard one junior cup kid complain about having Cody Wyman in the class. Not one of them. So, um, let's get to uh, let's get to what stock, stock thousand? thousand. Well, I mean, yeah. look, stock thousand this week again. It was kind of like what Heron did in uh, Super Sport. It was kind of the Corey Alexander show, uh, and Greg. He's won four straight there now at the race. Well, Jay, it was the Corey Alexander show before anybody turned a wheel on the racetrack. Well, I was there on Thursday, which I'm usually not. I had an early morning flight, and Delta left my bow sitting yep. in Raleigh, so I couldn't did you shoot. Get that, did you get it back, uh, by the to, way? You did get it back? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. They, it never left Raleigh, so. <laughs> yeah, that's it was right. I just want to make sure you got it, right. yeah. <clears throat> I got it. Um, but anyway, so, you know, on Thursday, I'm talking to a bunch of stock thousand riders. Everybody's like, well, if I can get close to Corey, 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 Corey. And I was like, wow. I mean, he already won these races. Everybody was beat already. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you could just, you hear it and what they're saying. But everyone knew that Corey was going to show up and be fast, even though he was on a brand new motorcycle, new program, the whole deal. Well, kind of a new program, I guess, for them. Yeah. I mean, Corey, if you go over and you look at Corey's crew or you look at some of the people there, it looks like the Jordan days. You know, you got, you got Jesse and, Jesse's there and DJ obviously is there and Richie Alexander. I mean, you look at the guys that you have over there, they've known each other for a long period of time. And there's a lot to be said for that. Corey ends up winning the first day over a local guy, Andy Debrino, who I really rate. I think Andy does a tremendous job. Debrino beats Gillum and Travis Wyman, Michael Gilbert. Unfortunately, he ends up fifth in this race and this second race would end up kind of finishing Michael's year, although he'll be back at the end of the year. But you look at that top five, those are kind of the five guys that we've seen this year. In the second race, it was Corey over Wyman. Debrino again puts that bike on the podium with Gillum fourth. But, Greg, what a hell of a last lap that was between them. 
Ezra Bobier, who didn't finish the first day, he ends up fifth. Another guy that I really think is doing a really nice job for the Moto, uh, Motorsport Exotica guys. You know, Greg, I think that when you look at this track and you look at the way Corey rides, it just kind of suits his style. He's a big, tall guy. He's able to muscle the bike around ever so slightly. In saying that, there's still things that this kid's working on with his riding. You brought up earlier about him possibly with the hopes of being on a super bike. I think that could be in his future for sure. Um, but this championship that we thought, I mean, every time that I start to think, well, this championship's kind of going a certain way now, I thought Hayden Gillum was going to be kind of, they, these guys gave Hayden a lot of points at, uh, was it Road America? Can't even remember now all these things, or VIR, it was VIR, I think, that there were some problems from, from the teams. And, but Corey's put yeah, together. after VIR race one, Hayden goes like fourth, win-win. First yeah. races. Yeah. Corey goes win, DNF, DNF. That's correct. Yep. And then, yeah. And so then you kind of sit there and you go, well, you know, Hayden, I mean, Hayden's another one of those guys I think could be on a super bike. Corey now has an eight point lead over Gillum. He's got a 10 point lead over Wyman. Fourth in the championship right now is Debrino. Um, and Greg, I mean, he's 23 back, I think he is. So when you start to look at it, this championship also is very tight as we head off to Laguna. I wish this class raced two times every weekend because it's a fun class for us. Um, takeaways. The big one for me, I thought, did you, did you see the, the Corey Alexander, Hayden Gillum exchange on the last lap of the second race? <laughs> yeah, I did. Where Hayden went bombing in there and Corey <clears throat> just kind of did the right thing and just let him go by and but, had a look over his left shoulder. But when you talk about feel and when you talk about understanding competition and understanding where you're at there, you know, that's a very technical area. And I talked to Hayden Gillum literally while the podium conversations were going, I was walking towards Park Fermi and Hayden was walking towards me all by himself with this big smile on his face, looking at me. And he goes, man, I tried. I'm like, Hey, go, Hey man, listen, you had to go. And he goes, JP, I should have just ridden smarter. I should have just, I said, look, man, you're trying to win. At the end of the day, you're trying to win. Now, keep in mind, I hadn't seen any of the video at this point. Hayden just got himself to a point underneath Corey where he's like, I got to straighten this bike up and run off track because I think he was getting himself in that gray area. And Corey kind of knew Hayden was going to do it and kind of felt that like, even though he couldn't see Hayden, he kind of felt like somebody, something could happen. And he waited for Hayden to go by, turn the bike, and Corey's looking over his left shoulder as Hayden runs off the racetrack. Um, what a cool exchange between two guys that are obviously very savvy riders. Um, and and I thought that you know these are the two guys, along with Travis. Travis just kind of plots along, and here he is 10 points back. Um, it's going to be close, I think, between all of them. We did lose Michael Gilbert, G-Dub, as I said. Uh, for those that didn't know or didn't see it, uh, he ended up sliding off, I think, fairly innocently. I still haven't seen the accident. I don't know if you have, but he slid off fairly innocently. And Ezra Bobier, poor guy, had nowhere to go, ran over Mike, Michael, and ended up breaking his femur is what ended up happening to Michael Gilbert. So he's had surgery. He's already at home, resting and getting getting himself back together. I think I saw the video. I, I Did you? only saw it once. I think he kind of spun the rear out, like okay. just kind of spun it out and Ezra was like right on the outside, like, you know what I mean? Like half a bike length or a quarter of a bike length had nowhere to go. It just yeah. kind of, yeah, it was a happens. bad move, but happens. Um, it does happen. I hope Ezra's okay. Cause I know that can mess riders up for a little while. Like I just ran over a dude. I'm sure those two have spoken, but it's a good class. And I think if you're a super bike team or even if you're Richie's or uh, Corey's current team, you got to be looking at him for a super bike because 
he's got all the he's got all the tools in the toolbox to be good on a super bike. Agreed. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. What about Twins Cup? Your boy Maziato ends up winning over Caleb DeCarroll and Hayden Schultz in race one. Race number two, Maziato three tenths of a second over Schultz and Cody Wyman, like you you mentioned earlier. So good margin of victories. Uh, one of these, like the was it the Maziato race, the first one. He was gone, and then everybody reeled him in right there at the end, and he was able to hold on. Yes, I, I believe that's what happened, isn't it? Because they, it was like he had this lead, and then in the second race, I believe, if I'm not, it's hard. It's so funny, G Dub, because when you and I don't call the races, I get a little bit like I'm like, wait a minute, am I am I getting my screwing this up? But I think the second race actually, Caleb DeCrail was actually gone, like he was leading. Oh, he, he was gone. Yeah, he was gone. He tucked the front, and then he tucked the front. He ends up picking it up and finishing, but um, but good for Maziato. It seems like Maziato has been second a lot, right? Second or third. Uh, yeah, obviously he was pretty known for the big incident that he had at Daytona earlier this year, where he ran up the wall. Um, the wall so, bounce. The yeah. wall bounce, which he even said to himself, he's like, "That was the gnarliest thing ever happened." Um, the thing that is is crazy to me is that is that this class again. Um, I don't know if you can pull up points in it, GW, but it's got to be pretty close because Jody Berry didn't have his best weekend. Jody came into this race with a bit of a points lead, and I don't know yeah, what it Jody is. Jody had now. a four race. He had a four race win streak going on and five podiums out of six. And <laughs> yeah, the, he only ended up scoring thirteen points, where Maziato wow. scored fifty total on the weekend. Wow. So the championship is now fourteen points between Barry Maziato and then Hayden Schultz is twenty five back from thirty nine back from the lead, and Blake Davis and Caleb. The Carroll number one plate, who's just on the struggle bus this year. I mean, Caleb DeCarroll's only had one podium after putting on a show last year and winning that number one plate. So yeah, you can't count the guy out though. He's like he's so consistent. We don't see him throw it on the ground very often. And I think Hayden Schultz is a really good rider too. What what race did Hayden Schultz not finish? You know, if you have the results up in front of you, I've already got the MotoGP stuff up in front of me. Was there a race that uh, around that, that Hayden, Hayden Schultz did he didn't, didn't score? Bir one. Yeah, I knew there was one of them one. somewhere. Actually, Road uh, our first race, we were at Road Atlanta. Road Atlanta, right? I can't what remember. What about Day Daytona? Oh, that was very... Daytona. Yeah. Sorry, Daytona for Twins Cup, right? So Daytona, their first race, and then uh, Road America. Got it. Road Atlanta. Got sorry. It. Road Atlanta, okay. race one. Yeah. So he, so he's had a couple DNFs, and I think that – and how far back is he now? 25 points? 39. Oh, he's 39. Got Ozzie it. Otto. Okay. Got it, got it, got it. So, yeah. So he's got his work cut out for him. But, again, that's a class where you see – a lot of different people up at the front uh, in that class as well. So, yeah, roll on Laguna Seca. I mean, Greg, heading into next week, I looked at the weather last night when I was laying awake at 2 o'clock in the morning not being able to sleep, and it's going to be mid-60s up there, mid-60s to high-60s, which is perfect riding weather up there. It's probably going to be sunny and gorgeous. All the things that we expect when we go up to Monterey, obviously one of our favorite places that we go. I, I will say this, G-Dub. Uh, when you start to look at each one of these classes and some of the battles that we've got going, tell me if you think I'm crazy on this, but I think this is the weekend where Petrucci has to win one race. He has to win at least one race in Superbike at Laguna Seca. I think if he can't, he hasn't won since Coda or Atlanta. He hasn't won since Atlanta. I don't think that in the races where it's been dry, that he's really been able to show himself. The first race at VIR, if you remember, he was there with Gagne for what five, six laps, maybe. Um, he had some brake, he had some engine brake management issues that were making it very, very difficult for him to ride. So he was there, um, but that's the only race we've even seen him close to Gagne or be able to mix it up was race one at VIR. 
I just think that Gagne is going to be on a roll. And if and if Petrucci has a shot at the championship, if both riders, again, are finishing each race throughout the course of the year, I think he's got to win a race at Laguna to get some momentum on his side. He's got a shot at it. He hasn't been there since, looks like 2013, uh, Petrucci. And he yeah. was on a CRT bike. Fastest lap he did was a 123.3. Yep. To give you an idea, the fastest... Race lap records a 123.1 on a Moto America Superbike, and that was Cameron Bobier, a 22.9 in 2018 is the outright lap record by uh, by Josh Heron. Yep. So it's at least for Petruch, he knows which way the track goes, and he's been noting this one as a confidence one. Also, you have, I mean, dude, MotoGP hasn't been to Laguna since 2013, but you've had World Superbike there. So there's some data that they can dip into. You know, in terms of they're going to know at least the gearing and some other bits and pieces that they don't have to think about at a track they haven't been to before with the spike. So that's all going to help, all going to play in his favor. It's all about that first session and maximizing it. Petrucci was on his back foot. They really didn't have a good day one at the Ridge anyway. Didn't do a lot of laps. They had a lot of problems. So hopefully it goes smooth for them. That's going to be critical because we know that they're going to roll that Yamaha or one of Gagne's off the truck and the thing's going to be ready to race within, within a lap. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, um, so yeah. So we'll what is it? Happens. What do you think G dub? Does it do anything to the psychology of Petrucci? If he doesn't win a race at Laguna compared to, I just think that this is a track that he could, I think he's got it circled <laughs> on his calendar of, okay, I'm going to go to this track. I like Laguna. I've been to Laguna. I know Laguna is more to the standard of his liking in the sense of circuits and uh, prestige maybe. But I just think that if he comes out of there, not beating Gagne at either one of these, I could see how it could mess with your psychology a little bit. Even though I know he's world-class racer, this and that, uh, this is a track where I feel like he's going to have to bring a game. I think that I think this bike's going to work great at Laguna. The Ducati's worked better all year round than it did last year, no question. Um, but I just think that this is a track where he's got to he's got to try to challenge Gagne all the way through. Can he do it for what is it, Greg? Eighteen laps. 20 laps. I don't even know what it is at Laguna, but anyways, yeah, I mean, I haven't even looked. That's going to be, that's going to be the hard one. I think, you know, I think it's already working his mental. So I think that he, in order for him to more reel it back in than anything else, he's got to have a good weekend. Yeah. Because if you look at, if you look ahead after that, I think he's, he's ridden at, he's ridden at, uh, Brainerd, right? Brainerd, he rode, he tested, right? Barber. Has he been to Barber yet? Possibly. Barber will be a good one for him as well. Yeah. Um, Another another couple of year old surface, you know, world class track. So, uh, what else do we have left on the calendar? Um, yeah, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. So yeah, yeah been, Pittsburgh. He's been to so, Pitt, I think. Did he go there? He did. Oh go no, there. he missed Pitt. He missed. It was no, right after Pitt. VIR. No, he was hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So. He missed. Yeah. So I don't know if he's been there or not. But anyway, whatever. We'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody to step it up and challenge Gagne. What we really want to see with Gagne is is how's his racecraft. Yeah, because the only time he's been pushed this year, he tucked the front turn yeah. five at Road Atlanta. So I want to see a race and I want to see because we know Gagne can go fast when he controls the pace. But if someone disrupts the flow, I want to know how raceable that Gagne motorcycle is, oh, you know, just as much as we saw, yeah. you know, 2016 when you saw um, Tony Elias come in 17, completely disrupt the way the Yamaha rode their bikes. You know, he would go and dive bomb on the brakes and then stop them from their corner speed. And it took them two whole seasons to figure out how to race the guy. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting. And what, and, and then we've, 
you know, we heard, you know, talking to Paul Carruthers and things that Petrucci's, I mean, this is for another podcast, but he wants to stick around for another year. And that's just, it's been a really strange yeah, year, we'll but see. yeah, we'll see. Laguna Seca, everyone, we're going to be there this weekend. If you see, if you, if you're coming up and I know there's going to be a lot of people there, GW, come, come look GW and I up. Cause I always like yep. to say hi. Um, Moto, all right. Oh, you're going to do it. GP Aston people. Yeah, yeah. let's oh, do yeah. it. Moto GP Aston. Bagnaya ends up winning the race over Bedzecki, Maverick Vinales, Alicia Spargaro, Binder, Miller in sixth, Jorge Martin, Juan Mir, Oliveira, Rins, Bashanini, Nakagami, Zarco, DG Antonio with two points, and Alex Marquez. Your notable non-finishers, your world champion, your championship leader, Fabio Quadraro, had two crashes. Jason, what did you see out of this weird-ass race that had rain falling in the middle of it and tense times and... I declared a wet race so people could come in and get the second bike if they wanted to. And I don't know if anybody did. What'd you see? There's a lot of get uh, Greg. There's so many things that you can talk about here. And I don't, you know, I, I know we got to get you back to bed today. Uh, the thing is, is that <laughs> when you, when you start looking at this stuff again, it's just an insane podium, isn't it? Would you have known, would you have thought the Bedzecki second and then Maverick Vinales is third in this race? Yeah. We could pretty much always earmark a Bagnaya, a Quattararo or a Leish, one of those guys or Miller, you know, possibly winning a race. Bastianini, all, but second and third this year, these podiums are wild to me. And by the way, Bedzecki only lost by less than half a second over Bagnaya. So a maiden podium for Bedzecki. I thought that was amazing. It seems like the Mooney guys, again, it's either one or the other. Like Marini does great, Bedzecki does shitty, Bedzecki does great, Marini doesn't do so well. So when you look at it, <clears throat> um, Bedzecki finishing second is amazing. Third, Vinales, amazing. But Greg, there's, there's two bigger storylines again for the weekend that we got to look at in the sense that Alicia Spargro had race winning pace this entire time. This guy gets pushed off the racetrack by Quattararo, who went to go up underneath him in the slowest corner on the track, lost the front, tipped into uh, Alicia. Alicia goes all the way back to what was it, GW, like 18th? And I read a stat where he broke the existing lap record, like 14 laps in a row or something like that. And that's while passing people. I mean, the ride that Aleish put on here was worthy of a champion. It was an incredible race. Um, the the pass in the last chicane on, on uh, was it Miller and Binder? Um, yeah, Miller and Binder. Uh, I, are you kidding? I, to, for him to kind of surprise attack, Binder's probably rolling up under Miller controlling his speed to get past Miller thinking to himself, all right, good. I got, I got this fourth place. And then next thing you know, where did Alesh come from? Alesh is up underneath him, goes through both of them. He ends up beating these guys across the line for fourth. Prelia looked amazing on this day in the sense that uh, they end up third and fourth overall. Um, I mean, it's happy times right now for Aprilia. Now, let's go back to the Quattararo thing because you know this has been keeping me up at night, right? I mean, you know it has been. Quattararo goes up underneath the lace, loses the front, does this thing. There's two things, Greg, that you and I just shook our heads on. Number one, why did they let him back out? He's a lap down. I don't care if the rain is coming. You cut your losses at that point. You got your, you got your champion who is leading the championship, who's made one mistake now in I don't know how many races. He gets himself up, he gets back out, and then crashes again because a TC sensor had been damaged in the earlier accident, and it fails. And Quattro is lucky he's not hurt, isn't he, G-Dub, especially going into the into the summer break. And Dude, I think, I think he is hurt. I mean, he is hurt for sure, like not permanently hurt. But right. I mean, he's, he's lucky that 
that they have this month break to heal up because I know he's hurt. <laughs> and G-Dub says to me, I we talked like I was a couple of days later, G-Dub's like, fire Jarvis, immediately fire him. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, when you look at it, it's, it's. What are you doing, man? What are, what you, are, you, what what are, are you, you doing? A hundred percent. What do you have? What do you have to win? What are you getting more data? I mean, you have 20 races in the Correct. year, you, you know? Stop. Hey, if it's Morbidelli, like if it's Morbidelli or somebody, you send him back out. You know what I mean? It's yeah, DG Antonio or Bedzecki or somebody that needs the needs the practice. Sure, I mean, send him back out. The thing is, is that at that point, you're a lap down. You see Quattararo. You know, he's taking the long lap penalty, staying out of everybody's way as soon as he leaves pit lane, and you're just sitting there going, "Why are you going back out? Why are why are you even thinking of pushing?" You're not going to make up a full lap anyways. And even if it did rain. It's the only reason to send him out, though. The only reason to send him out. What I would have done was say, hey, go do your long lap penalty. Come back in and your race is done. That way we don't have to serve it. But he did the it. Next race. But he did the long lap penalty. And we're going to talk about that in a second, too. But the thing is. is no, that but I'm saying that's the only reason to let him out is what I'm saying. Had know? they known that that was going to be the case then? Because it didn't really get announced that he was getting penalized till after the race. Which he is, shouldn't have been penalized. Oh, God. Don't even get me started, dude. Like, you're going to get me on a rant. You're never. You're going to have to take a box of that shit you took earlier to knock yourself out. Because I could go on this one for about <laughs> an hour. I, I, Greg, something's got to be done because they're ruining the sport. So you're going to tell me that Bagnaya going underneath Jorge Martin and cleaning him out in turn one at Qatar, okay? You're going to tell me that Nakagami cleaning out Rins and Bagnaya at Catalonia. You're going to tell me that Miller taking out Juan Mir at turn one in Portugal. Those are all race incidents. But what Quattararo did to Aleix is worthy of a penalty? Uh, what, are, Greg, what is going on, okay? I have a problem because all I keep hearing is Freddie Spencer's name. Now, you have told me, others have said, well, Freddie isn't this, Freddie isn't that. But I'm going to tell you this. The writers are saying Freddie Spencer's name. The writers are mentioning that something's got to be done. Rins has come out and said after after the thing at Catalonia that they need to all be gone. They need to bring in new people. And the last thing, G-Dub, what are referees, umpires, stewards? They are there to to make sure things are are, are, are safe and good and everything else. They are not there to be the story. And every single weekend, it seems like to me, after a MotoGP weekend, the stewards are the story. You think of the things that we just talked about. Bagnaya winning and getting himself back in the championship. Bedzecki finishing second. The Aprilia is doing amazing. All anybody's talking about, though, is this bullshit with Quattararo getting a long lap penalty at Silverstone. My question to you is this, okay? And, and I already know what you're going to say, but I got to ask it. Is Dorna involved at all? When you look at race control, how much influence are the main principles of Dorna themselves, not the race direction or the stewards? How much are they playing a part in this penalty in the sense of, hey, the championship's getting a little out of hand. It's a little bit big. Let's give Quattararo a long lap penalty at Silverstone to see if we can close this thing up more. Is that involved here? No, zero. And the only reason I say that is because it came up at the ridge in terms uh, of... I knew you were going to say this. I knew you were yeah, going to go down this route. Yeah, yep. people getting penalties. And the panel, you know, it's in the rule book. We put it up on screen on what happens. It's it's the FIM stewards. In our case, in Moto America, you have three key people. If it gets protested, it goes to a panel. And then if that's not satisfied, it goes somewhere else. If that's not satisfied, it goes to the court of arbitration. So, but that's that's like a month down the road as opposed to like on the deal 
what I was told was that Moto America, the you know Moto America, and the Crave Group, so Chuck Axlin and Richard Terry, Harner, Terry, and Terry, Terry Cargus, and Wayne Rainey. Yep, they're the promoter. They're Dorna. Yep, right. They're our Dorna. Yep. They can, if they want to, they can go up and express their opinion on what's happening. But what I was told directly by the people involved in the decision-making process, according to them, was it has nothing to do with anything. They don't get paid by those guys. You know what I mean? So it's it's not... <laughs> it's like, great. Just as much as I could express my opinion. If I came across Rick Hobbs, right, who's race direction in Moto America, and I said, hey, Rick, you know, I think that this was a race incident, da 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 So... There are there's video of those guys behind closed doors. I don't see a Dorna person in there. I I, I say zero, but I really don't know. Let's, okay. let's say one. Okay. There's a one percent chance, right? There's always a chance, but well, it's not wrestling. First off, I just think. Hold yeah. on, I, Greg. It is it's insane. Like you and I go through this all the time. Where I'll be pulling up your name on my phone and you call me. A, a lot of our beliefs, a lot of our thoughts, we are mirrored on. Now I 100 percent knew that you were going to bring up the Moto America thing. In other words, where Greg's going with this is that people will run up to Chuck Askin and complain about something that's happened that race direction has made a decision on. That has nothing to do with Chuck. Chuck doesn't get involved. Chuck doesn't, Chuck just goes, Hey, go talk to them. Like that's Chuck. Chuck is Dorna in this case. Okay. Now I the fully promoter. believe He's the promoter. That's exactly right. And, and Chuck to his credit, We'll sit there and he'll base an opinion sometimes or he'll look at things or he'll say something or um, that the, the thing is, here's my point, is that when you look at Dorna and the power that they have, Dorna to me muzzles their writers, number one. In other words, there's no way a writer can come out and just put an organization like Dorna on blast without them feeling some severe heat for doing so. OK, and we've already seen this year that isn't the case in our series. Our series is. You know, anybody can say what they want. They can blast whoever they want. And then. Right. Petrucci can't do what Petrucci's done to this point. No way in MotoGP. Now, now my problem is this. Is that, is that, so we know Chuck, Wayne, Terry, uh, Richard, they are, they are the promoters. They're putting on the races. They've hired people. They've, they've, they've set a certain standard through FIM uh, to, to have the panel that we have calling the races that we do. Now, that said, in this particular case, I do not understand how the consistency can be so screwed up at the highest level without somebody above the stewards getting involved. Because if the guys have set a precedent, the Nakagami thing blows me away. I could look at the Bagnaya and Jorge Martin won it. Um, and you know me, Greg, I'm a big racing is racing. Motorsports is dangerous. None of these guys are setting off to go kill each other. The only one of those three. There's two of them that I can kind of look at. I thought the Miller one on Rins was pretty was pretty bad. The Bagnaya one on Martin was bad. But again, you look at Bagnaya, he's not the guy that does that. And you look at the one with Nakagami. That was horrendous to me. You have a full field of riders going down into a tight turn one, all experienced, all have gone into that turn a million times. You've got to show some better judgment there. You have to. Now, this one is as innocent as it gets, isn't it? I mean, he just goes to go up underneath a lace. Greg, they're doing 40 mile an hour. And and a lace doesn't even fall. And a lace comes back and still finishes fourth in the championship. 
what are we doing? Why are we penalizing? Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me add to that. Alacia's post race press, you know, like they interviewed him after. You didn't get on the box, right? But his his comments afterwards, Alacia said it was a racing incident. He wasn't even really bothered by it. Like he wasn't he wasn't pooping on Quadraro. There was nothing. He was like, yeah, that happened. I had to get on with business. And then all of a sudden, the penalty comes by. So the rider involved didn't even think from the comments high- that I heard it, it, that it deserved a penalty or anything of that nature. Did you see Quattro? Did you see Quattro's kid like go up and and or not Quattro? Uh, Alicia's kid like go up and want to start punching Quattro's legs, and and Alicia no. and him are just laughing about it, and they're fist. Yeah. I mean, he go Quattro goes into the pit box afterwards, and Alicia's there laughing like no problem, it's okay. Like had it been a had it been somebody that maybe has had it been a Nakagami, had it been I don't know, Greg, I can't think of anybody else right now. Maybe off the top of my head. Um, yeah, someone who's bouncing off somebody in the back of the could field, have done something egregious about. like that, that, that you sit there and you go, okay, well, yeah, that's probably penalty worthy. Let's move on from not. that. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. So now you've set the precedent for what, if you're Quattararo now, how do you race? Uh, that's Greg, the problem. It's my next, how question do you race? You. I'm sorry. You. The only way I can make a pass is if I know the future and I am hundred percent mistake free so and even Quadraro made some comment like, "Okay, I guess I won't pass anymore." Yeah, and but so good it's for like, him, and I'm glad to see him. I want to see these guys put some shit out there and let put these people on blast a little bit. It's not racing anymore. Like it is not racing anymore. They are they are taking away from good, solid, hard racing. And oh, by the way, everybody talking about how MotoGP we can't pass, we can't do this. There are dynamics. I mean, Assen, cooler weather. I get it. There's some things that played into that factoring, but you want to see good tight rate. I want to see Quattro try to make that pass if he has to, or if he thinks he can get ahead. Who, He's the freaking world champion. Why uh, wouldn't he try to make that pass? And by the way, Bagnaia's out in front. Quattro is leading the championship. He knows that if he can go, he can go. And you're now going to detract from these guys passing when it has become harder for them to pass anyways. I just don't understand it. And I don't even know how. Dorna could go into the next race without some sort of retraction on, you know what, we've, we've had time to look back at this and blah, blah, blah. They can't do it, obviously, because they're going to be put on blast by Ducati and everybody else. But now they've set a horrendous precedent of anybody look, we, we, that goes underneath about anybody. For two years. Oh. This is what's been going on for two years. They just keep going a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, and this is where we are. And they're burying the world champion. Right? They're burying themselves. T- t- take... Take it out of right, like take take the whole thing and say that this happened back in sixteenth place. So the fact that it wasn't on TV and it happens, uh, it's just a racing incident. Guys make mistakes. Just shits me. And what it does is it just and what everybody gets a trophy, Jay. Everybody uh, gets a trophy. It just ruins everybody. It. Wrap everybody in bubble wrap. Let's go racing. Uh, all right, so it's ridiculous. Cha- championship standings now, like when you start to look at it now, it's one seventy two to one fifty one that Quattararo has over LA Sprague. So it's a 21-point lead for Quattararo, and he's got to serve a long lap penalty at Silverstone. To me, this just has all of the, let's let's try to get this championship tightened up so that we can get everybody together. I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, I, I don't I don't understand how you penalize a guy like Quattararo, <laughs> who has been like a really stand-up guy through all the championship. I mean, he's a very well-liked dude. Uh, take that has nothing to do with racing. I'm saying that it's not like he's done something 
malicious or egregious in the past. It's not like what you're doing is penalizing. You're not penalizing him as a disciplinary action to say enough's enough. Watch yourself. That's, that's the problem that I have. Yeah. Like you're just penalizing him to penalize him. Can I ask you a question? Another question? Yeah. Help me here. I'm asking because I don't know. Okay. When was, have we ever seen Quattararo? Have we seen him do anything really obviously bad to people anywhere? No, I mean, I, I can't. It, I can't remember. It doesn't come to mind because he's not that guy, right? Like, he doesn't he deserve any disciplinary action against him. I'm sure that he's done one or two things. He has to, right? He's a racer. I mean, <laughs> well, know, I'm saying that, that, that we've been that something that's been brought up to our attention that it's like, ooh, that was kind of a little bit dodgy or a little bit dicey. Or I just can't think of anything. And this is the guy who's got less horsepower than anybody else on the straights or less speed, top speed than anybody else on the straights who has to make these kind of passes, like hard, aggressive passes, but he doesn't do it. He does it very smart. He uses racecraft. He figures out a way to get to the front. He figures out a way to score points and get himself up there. Anyways, right, we're, we're going to be headed. Dumb. It, it it's dumb. It's dumb penalty. Just, yeah, screw these guys. Stupid. It just bums me out. So, But take nothing away from Aleish. Aleish now on that Aprilia, 21 points back. Zarco, Greg, uh, had an off weekend. He's third in points. Bagnaya up to fourth, but he's a mile back, 106 to 172. And rounding out the top five, Bastianini. The Ducati fold there will be interesting to see where that goes. We talked about some silly season stuff with Marquez going to Grassini. Obviously, there's going to have to be a move. Bastianini is either going to be with Pramac next year or he's going to be on the factory team. And Jorge Martin is the other piece in that puzzle. In Moto2, G-Dub, uh, I, I don't know if you got to watch Moto2. Um, in the race, uh, sorry, Greg, I, I didn't have it pulled up. You got me on a rant. My apologies. Gusto Fernandez yeah. does a great job of beating your boy, Ayagura, who I still haven't got to see his post-race interview that you told me about. But, man, Ayagura, Greg, in that race, take nothing away from Augusto Fernandez, who's now won two races in a row. Um, he won at um, Saxon Ring. Dominant performance for Augusto Fernandez at Saxon Ring. Ayagura, um, in this race, though, to me, Greg, there was two huge incidents that he had. But I'm like, oh, but he's done. And the next that thing you know. That we saw. Yeah. Two that we saw. Yeah. yeah. And next thing you know, it's like, wait a minute. He's right there again. <laughs> um, he ends up second over Jake Dixon. Viette with another salvage job ends up fourth, coming from far back again to continue to b- bump his way forward. I believe it's Bo Bensteiner's best result in fifth with Lopez Arbolino. Our guy Joe Roberts, again, top 10 guy, ends up eighth um, over Manuel Gonzalez and Salich with Aldegar, Navarro, Chantra, Alcoba, and Baltus rounding out your points-paying positions. Augusto Fernandez right now, G-Dub, has got some steam going. He's trying to make a, uh, you know, a big push in this championship uh, to try to catch up to Vietti. He has now done that. He's tied in points um, with Vietti at 146. And your boy, Igura, G-Dub, 145. He's right there. He is right there. Bobier crashed himself out of like fourth or fifth place. He was right there for podium contention. Had to work his way up to 18th place. Just had a little From bit. From 18th, got it yeah, a little wow. bit wide, a little bit wide. Tipped her over and tipped it off. Um, did you see? Did you see the replay of that at all? Like it, it. I, I only got to see it once because I never saw the. Yeah, I, I did. I saw it. I, I know it, initially it looked to you like Vietti may have gotten into him a little bit, but now nah, there was plenty of room. Cam was just there? Got in deep. Just got a little bit yeah. too deep and just door lost was the open. Front. I think Cam was in a little bit of dirty stuff. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah, it's a shame so. for Cam. I mean, to come from 18th on the grid is no joke, and to continue to march forward like he did. He was on. He was in third for a couple corners. Like he, you know, he worked his way all the way up there. But anyway, 
Well, um, a couple big things. Yeah, Acosta breaks his leg the week prior, so he's out. He's ninth in points now. And then you got, I mean, Greg, what can you say about Aaron Kinnett? This, this to me, could have been Aaron Kinnett's year to win the championship. And now he's out because of the car accident he got into. Um, him and his girlfriend were driving, I believe, in Valencia. He had like some serious facial injuries. Uh, he did he did ride at Saxon Ring, but when he got to Assen, it proved a little bit too much for him. I haven't really delved into it. We should probably ask our boy Steve English because I know um, I haven't got to listen to their podcast in the last week or two. Uh, I'm sure they talked about this, but man, Aaron Kinnett, what a year he's had. I saw that he had some sort of like stitches over his eyebrow, but apparently, Greg, he couldn't stop his nose from bleeding. Sheesh. Yeah, that's what that I means, hear. That it's. Oh, that means they got to stick a hot poker up there and burn it. Is that right? Have that done. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like yeah. fun. Carterize it or whatever they call it. Yeah. Ugh. Gross, dude. Ugh. I'd have that done in college. What? Ugh, <clears throat> oh, Greg. That just sounds like... Yeah. You've had some things that, that was... just sound like zero fun, by the way. <laughs> that one wasn't fun. Yeah, you got the, the whole eye thing still makes me twitch. So Did I get an injection get, in my eye every five an, weeks? Getting a needle in your eye every five weeks. like That just makes me cringe, too. G-Dub, Moto3. Guess who did it? My guy, Yuma Sasaki, wins. I'm so happy to see that now because he's the guy I've been on about, was leading that race this year at uh, at uh, Qatar. Bodywork came loose. He ends up not finishing that race. We think he had like a four-second lead or something. So he kind of redeems himself, gets himself that first win over Guevara and Sergio Garcia, who came from nowhere. Did you get to watch this race at all? No, not oh at all. Oh my god. I watched it the other night because I thought we were going to be doing the podcast. So I'm like, oh, I gotta get and watch this. Tetsuya Suzuki ends at fourth. Artigas ends at fifth. Greg, some big non-finishers here. Um first off, Dennis Faggio. He ends up running off the track on in turn one. And when he goes to get back on G dub, the lip between the curbing and the regular, you know, like coming from that other side of the of the uh you know, he went out over the red and white. And when he went to try to pull it back onto the track, he hit that and wadded himself. So there was a lip there that, uh, that launched a little Moto3 bike in the air, which was a bummer. Hopefully that was enough for race direction to not give him a long lap penalty at the next race for going off the racetrack. Watching hard the to say. We'll wad find himself. out later. Yeah, who knows? Um, but man, G-Dub, this David Munoz kid is the real deal. He's 16 years old. Uh, he was the kid that put it on the podium at, uh, at Catalonia. And, and in his, I think it was his first race. And he's kind of known as taking no prisoners. He took out Jami Masia on the last lap. And John McPhee, right behind them, crashed on his own. He ended up crashing on his own. And then Kelso and Fernandez had a huge crash all on the last lap, Greg. There was five guys taken out. Those, those Fernandez-Kelso was a separate incident to the Masia-Munoz-McPhee. Um, but in this championship now, with Sasaki doing his job there, Guevara is the guy that's kind of been on the move in the Moto3 championship because we've seen Sergio Garcia lead it. He continues to lead, Greg, does Garcia, but he's only got a three-point lead over his teammate. And there's going to be some sweaty palms in that Gas Gas Aspar team for the rest of the season because these guys have pulled away big time from Faggia, who's in third, but a long way back. 182, 179 to 115 in that championship. So Moto3, these guys are on a big summer break now. I think until Silverstone. I believe it's Silverstone that they're at next. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, and I th- I don't even know when they go, G-Dub. It must be the end of this month. It must be. I, I don't have it pulled up. But uh, I think it's the end of this month. Silverstone I'm... is uh, August 7th. Wow. They're off the entire month of July. How does a championship that has 
21 races have a full month off in the middle of the summer. That's pretty wild. But people need people why, need the why, pe- it's wild because they go to November break. 6th. Yeah, they go to November 6th. That's right. That's they go deep into the winter, don't they? So, anyways, all right, Greg, let's move on to important stuff here for you. I know because you're good at the whole fantasy <coughs> thing. fantasy, baby. I let's st- look at our fantasy. I stink. Because well, I mean, yeah, you, you actually made some inroads, which was nice. Oh, but I yeah. think you gained like four or five positions coming from way back <laughs> in the pack. I've gone from 276 to 270, G-Dub. I'm on my way. Got to have goals, buddy. I'm up to yeah. Valentino Rossi, so I'm 46th in our league. 341 oh, players. So good. In our league, but I'm 3,522. So not quite the run that I was making, but uh, Slow to Stoked leads the way. Actually, it's all tied up top between Slow to Stoked and Fight Club. So three SMC champs, uh, WSMC champs, is in third place. My boy Dan Yaza up to fifth. So there's been, you know, there are some pretty good points, points hauls, I guess you could say. 115 up top for Stoked and 105 and a half for Fight Club. But I think uh, it was kind of a weird week. I think a lot of people with Quartararo, they got hung out to dry. But those people that don't have Quart were pretty good. Yeah, and my boy, I, my, Justin, Justin is my friend. Uh, he's the Fight Club, and he doesn't have Quart. He's he had a Lation Bagnaya with Renz and Miller with Ducati as his thing. So all of his guys, all of his guys finished. So that's the big thing. And if you don't have Quartararo, boy, you're exactly right, G-Dub. It's a, it's a, that's a big deal. And your your boy in fifth, he, I think he got past. I think he ended up. Wasn't he fourth last week or third going in last week? He did have Quattararo. Uh, it was like two weeks two weeks ago. Yeah, he did he have Quattararo, yeah. so that hurt him a little bit there. Yeah, you're, I think so. You're 46th, huh? 46 with two turbos. <clears throat> Dan Yaza has, I think he turboed. I think he turboed uh, Peko or so. He turboed somebody this week, maybe. Nah, 35 points. That's not much. Yeah. But... We'll see. Join us for the Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore. That's our league in MotoGP. If you're already on there, just jump in. You can do it. It's a lot of fun. We'll talk more about it as we get closer to Silverstone. Uh, Silverstone. Silverstone. But next week's yeah. podcast, yeah, which really is, I mean, today's Saturday. I'm going to post this as soon as we're done. Well, it takes me a couple hours. But it's I'll the Fourth of July um, podcast, right? That's what we're doing it here for. Fourth of July podcast. Yeah. So, but actually, on the fourth, we're going to record with Kaylee Yakov. So I'll probably post that on Tuesday. Excited Give about that. Give those people. Heading to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. A little something to listen to, these two podcasts. But that's pretty much it. We're going to have a chat with Kayla. And and um, as we get closer to World Superbike, we'll get Steve English on. But we're in the thick of it now, Jay. Halfway through our Moto America season. And hopefully we have a stellar weekend coming up. Yeah, we really are. I, You know, the thing about the, the fantasy thing that crushes me is that my guy Rusty, who's a Dallas Cowboy fan, which is reason enough not to like him anyways, He's a, he's wanting to give me tips now. He's he's he is part of the WSMC champs guys, and you know, he's reached out. Hey, how much money do you have left? I think I can help you. And I'm like, oh my god, I can't take advice from a cow. <laughs> can't take advice from a Cowboys fan. Can't take advice from a Patriots fan. It's hard enough. I'm your friend, so it's like, yeah, it's a big embarrassment. But say 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 goodbye, dickhead. I got to go to sleep. That's painful. That's really painful. I don't appreciate that. Hey, everybody. Looking forward to a great week ahead. Laguna Seca on the horizon. We're going to talk some motocross next week as well because I know that's going live. I'm excited to talk to Kayla. G-Dub, hope you get some rest, buddy. We'll see you in a few days, and we'll talk sooner than that later, everyone. <laughs>